Hello and welcome to Open All Eyes, the QPR podcast. We didn't do one last week because we thought we'd cover the eyes in a bit more detail after Cardiff because we knew we'd get too excited with a win. So we knew that, um, yeah, with Norwich and Ipswich to come, we'll have a bit of a high, a bit of a low, and then a bit of a, ooh, that was an interesting game. So we'll do that in, well, in no particular order. Phil Sullivan is back. Are you going to be a bit more positive? Oh, definitely. Last okay. time, last time it was pre-Cardiff and post-Watford, which was uh, trying to decide how we were going to avoid relegation. We turned yeah. an enor- we turned an enormous corner. There's lots for Phil the optimist to be optimistic about now. So good evening. Mm-hmm. Back, now, George. What do you want to nickname yourself? I mean, you can give yourself any sort of nickname. I just want to be George Sharp, who does the. the, the... Are you still doing the vlog at QPR? Are you talking? No, I, I, I stop. I stop vlogs now. Where it's called Junior Hoop Vlogs, isn't it? And like. As a 15-year-old, it's a bit bit old, so I've stopped vlogs, so I'm still doing interviews and stuff like that. Oh, that's good. And the voice is definitely broken now. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Before you know it, you'll be getting married, having kids, if you want to, of course. You don't have to, or doing whatever you want to do in life. And then you well, might even want a few home matches by then. You never know. Sounds perfect. And he's just back from... He's jet-lagged. He's been halfway around the world. He's been to Japan and back. And Simon, was Saturday your first game? Saturday was my first game, yeah. I did manage to watch the um, Cardiff game with, uh, what was between about 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock in the morning, which didn't go down well with the rest of my family. But given that game and choosing that one between that and Watford, I certainly chose the right one. But, yeah, no, it's good to be back. Went on Saturday, talk about it in a bit. But, yeah, it certainly seems to be a few things to look forward to and be positive about compared to where we were against Watford. Well, everyone, that was Simon Hall. And I'm, of course, Paul Finney, um, host of the game because no one else ever could be asked to turn up. Anyway, so I'm going to start with George. George, um, we haven't had you on this season, so I don't know what your view was at the start of the season, what your view is after Cardiff and Norwich Ipswich. So hit me with it. Well, at the end of last season, I was, I was probably Ainsworth's biggest critic ever. I was... No... Pretty- criticising his long ball style of football and to be honest I was tempted to say it to you at Watford but you looked fuming so I didn't but I was going to say I told you so because the football is absolutely dire but by almost some miracle it's almost changed in the last couple of weeks Cardiff, Norwich, Ipswich we've actually looked like we've been playing a bit of football and that's been good for me to see because I'm probably the biggest I love passing football and everything. And obviously the win against Cardiff, we needed that more than anything. Obviously holding on at the end, but dominating for about 70 minutes of that. And then we were unlucky against Ipswich not to come away with anything. I thought the fact their their style of football's very much passing and we still had about 30, 30, 40% possession. So that was quite good. And I think we at least deserved a draw out of it. So... Yeah, that's my take. Before I come to uh, Phil, who's the optimist, as he describes himself, um, you know, the last time he was on, I thought he was going to jump through the window, but didn't mind. Um, you mentioned stats, George. Do the stats worry you when you read them after games? 
Uh, well, I, I try not to look too much into them, like the what's it called, expected goals and stuff. That's just a load of BS. And but like possession stuff, I feel like position possession don't win you win your games, but it certainly helps. And when we were having fifteen percent possession, how like I know we, I would say fluke to win against Burnley last season, but you can't go into every game having 15-20% possession. So it's always good to see a little bit more passing. Now, Phil, I'm going to bring you in next because Simon has been hobnobbing it halfway around the world and he missed Watford, so he doesn't deserve to come in before you. Because <laughs> he's been enjoying himself and we can't have that in the podcast, can we? I mean, just <laughs> really strong. Just wrong. Not, not for not for you and me that sat through all 90 minutes or 90 minutes plus seven at Watford. Oh, oh my no. God. That was, I stayed to the end. That was horrendous. So do you want, probably visiting Pandas. That's brave. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want me to talk about Ipswich then? No, no, no. We're covering all three, so we, you can you can take as long as you want and dissect it game by game if you wish. Well, let's 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 go to Ipswich, because the first thing I was going to say about the Ipswich game. Um mm-hmm which was just completely joyous, was that it was fun to be at. It was at Loftus Road, the the lower loft with their flags and everything. I, I sit in block in P block, upper loft, row A. So you look down on the whole thing. Loftus Road was jumping. We actually played like a team. The first half was just magnificent. Um, we were the better side. How we went in nil-nil, I don't know. How Sinclair Armstrong could hit two posts and it roll across the goal line and go out. You know, all this kind of stuff. It was just fantastic. The difference between that and that trip I made to Watford away is absolutely chalk and cheese. And on the pod post-Watford, we had a conversation, if you remember, about how we thought we might stay up this season. And one of the things I said was that if Sinclair Armstrong has a breakout season, looking at that performance against Ipswich, you think that the guy could easily have a breakout season. He's um, When he's not cramped up, um, he is absolutely unplayable. There's one point in the early in the second half where he just pushed the ball past two defenders and then just ran quicker than them. But instead of running around them, ran straight through the middle of them and they couldn't do anything about it. At the end, he should have squared it to chair. He didn't. He had a shot. Well, it was all his own chance creation because he took it over the halfway line. It was fantastic. You know, and chair having a shot from just over the halfway line, her whole thing was superb. We'll have a separate conversation about Willock because it's interesting what that was about because I predicted he'd come off at half-time and then he did, but I actually thought he did quite well. So maybe he's buried the hatchet with Gareth Ainsworth. Is he still? I don't know. I I've, 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 don't claim no, to know. I've no idea. You think you played okay? I did because he, he actually won the ball on two or three occasions, okay. um, which he hadn't done before. He looks as if he could be asked which is, blimey, we set a low bar, don't we? When we put someone in a QPR shirt, one of the play, and we're happy because they look arsed. But he did look arsed, I have to say. Um, so it was just the most massive improvement. And that switch to a back three and wing backs and Smith playing as wing back has worked quite well. How long it will be till people work that out, I don't know. And then finally on this, on a less optimistic note, because everyone has been banging on about the fitness and we were absolute baggage for the last 25 minutes, which we were. And Sinclair Armstrong had to go off injured and there's something about Ainsworth saying he doesn't want injuries, so he's ramping up everyone very slowly. 
Well, that's a bit concerning because there's only 46 games a season. We've had three of them already. Um, Where's he ramping up to? But the other thing I was going to say with that is if you just have 35% possession and your manager wants you to play a high-pressing game and press and press and press and press, I get the ball back, that's all very well because that's what Warburton used to do. But Warburton used to win it and then the two centre-halves would have 400 passes between each other whilst everyone's getting their energy back. Whereas we tr- we win the ball, try and do something with it, much better than we did at Watford, I have to say, and then lose it almost instantly. And then you have this high press thing where you've got to run, 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 run and get it back again. Well, that takes massively more um, fitness mm. than a team that keeps possession like Ipswich did. So I think might be slightly coupled with him ramping up slowly with fitness and slightly coupled with how he's asking us to play we look as if we can only play for 60 minutes. But broadly, I thought it was tremendous on Saturday. Good. Um, I'm going to come to you in a second, but I'm just going to keep you waiting because you were enjoying yourself in Japan while we were suffering at Watford. And I, I, I don't think there's long enough I can keep you waiting that will justify that horrible, horrible day. Um, now, my main worry, I don't understand what you think, or the rest of people come to Simon first. I wouldn't ask who... I think we've got to be careful we don't burn Sinclair out. Um, playing him by himself at his age with the style of player that he is is a massive arc. And I wasn't surprised when he got cramp. Um, Dyke should have been subbed earlier at Norwich. Um, I think we all knew they were kicking lumps out of him that was going to happen. But he's not a pretty good season. I haven't seen anyone do what he does since, since Lairs, funnily enough. There's a bit of irony there. Um, and... It does worry me a bit that we're asking a bit too much of him, putting too much faith in him, putting too much pressure on him. But Simon, he looks like he's he's coping with it, doesn't he? He doesn't look like it, it's affected him. I think I think the thing that I liked about Armstrong is that if you compare it to what he was like last season, where well, I think we all said he was a 100-metre runner trying to learn to be a footballer. We've already seen in the first sort of two or three two or three games signs of improvement as such with with him on the ball. If you had a look at the cutback, again, I watched the Cardiff game, so the cutback that he did for Kenneth Powell, if you compared that to what he did at Huddersfield where he had a very similar situation and made an absolute botch job of it, trying to square it for chair, I think those little things like him being able to hold the ball up, bring other people into play, um, that's that's looked really, really good and I think we're absolutely right. You you could see in the Burnley game last season that even top level defenders in the championship were scared were scared of him. But it's actually trying to harness his ability on a ball to be able to do that. And I think already there's signs this season that he'll be able to do that. And genuinely, I'd be ex- I'd be excited to watch him and Dykes together. So once Dykes mm. gets back or whether we get, well, obviously we need another striker, getting someone partnering with Armstrong, I think, could potentially be very exciting. The big thing, though, that I think we were saying last season was that it's making the choice of when to run because he basically sprints for 60 minutes. And if you're doing 60 minutes worth of sprinting, yeah, it's not a surprise you're going to end up getting cramped. And I think one of the big things that the backroom staff need to do and develop even further with him is just making sure that when to run, when not to. Because I think Mm. one of the things I've noticed, particularly last Saturday, was 
he was doing a lot of the closing down on his own. So when we were doing the press, he would do that and he would almost be him and that's about it. You need other people to come in and do that press, try and support him. And that will help him a little bit more. But look, potentially we've got a real star on our We've got a real star on our hands, pace to burn, and it's transformative for a team like us, linking with Paul Smith, having a bit of pace compared to what we did last season, and we do look a better side as a result of it. But hopefully the backroom staff will be working with him on deciding when to run, when not to, trying to up that sort of stamina. And I agree totally with Phil. It's that comment about I'm deliberately, I'm deliberately not got them 100% fit. Look, I don't know much about fitness or sports science, but it, it seems slightly alarming to me we were doing that. But on the way, but yeah, certainly from what I saw with him, yeah, massive, massive potential. It was interesting. I, I never know whether to believe a word Gareth Ainsworth says in an interview, I'll be honest. But mm-hmm. one of the things he said in one of his interviews was that Sinclair Armstrong is the quickest footballer he's ever, I don't know if he ever said seen or worked with or been a teammate of. Well, that is extraordinary. You think how many years he's been a pro footballer. If he thinks Sinclair Armstrong is the fastest footballer he's played with or coached, that's, that really says something. He, he is so rapid. He, he could, if he could just, and his first touch is quite good. Mm. If, he, if you tell me, Phil, that Sinclair Armstrong is faster than Steve Palmer, are you seriously forgetting <laughs> that? Well, I was going to mention bioacting Fenway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, it's um. But no, I totally agree. And looking back on it, I don't. I genuinely don't think there is. I think from mm. certainly from the time he's with us, he, I could well believe he's the quickest. I could well believe he's the quickest that he's ever seen. I mean, the obvious comparison to Les, doesn't it? I mean, it'd be you know the the power of the speed of the sprint and everything else. But I think, now, George, you, you, without patronising you, I'm going to patronise you. You're one of the younger ones. You pay attention to these things more. My eyes are playing up. Was it, I thought it was Smith did the, um, the, the halfway kick on Saturday, the halfway line. Was it sure? No, it was Chair. Yeah, 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 I thought so. But then again, the other day, listen to this, I thought Archer was still in nets in the second half. <laughs> I'm beginning to worry about these glasses. I, 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 I'm in contact with me, um, me optician after this podcast and sorting myself right out. Um, medical team looks like we've changed them, George. Um, from what I've seen in the bench, do you think that's a big thing that, or I've you know, may I said I'm probably looking at the freaking Ipswich one, but um, it does look like he's taking fitness a bit more seriously and 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 he's obviously slowly changing the thing about injuries. What do you think? Well, I see, I like everyone's been all positive about it, but I'll bring back some pessimism about Ainsworth thing. My thing is, why on earth, during the whole pre-season and everything, are we playing the same style of football that we saw at the back end of last year? We all saw at Oxford losing 5-0. There was nothing there, nothing that we've seen at Cardiff or Ipswich. No high press or anything. And you can see you can see why the players are starting to pull up with cramp because they haven't... It's almost like there's been no pre-season. They've jumped into a fresh game at Cardiff after losing 4-0 to Watford. And they're being told to run here, run there, run here, run there. And you can see why they're starting to cramp up, especially with like an Armstrong. Hardly didn't really play much during pre-season. Now getting told to start, run after everything. And you can see he changes games of football, but he's not the only one going down with cramp. And I, I like the way that he's 
specifically thinking about fitness now, how the medical staff are like, I almost say adapting to Ainsworth now, but I still don't get why the whole of pre-season. And then that's another thing. We started Richard the, Richards the whole of pre-season. He hasn't, he's what's played max 20 minutes, 30 minutes in the league. Like, why are we doing so different things in pre-season? It's almost like it weren't there and we jumped into it. And if anything, I feel bad for the players because they've been told to jump in almost half fitness and cramping up easily, which is understandable. Well, something something happened post-Watford, without a shadow of a doubt. Well, that's put, I think there has to be player power, surely. The players or people above him have told him, listen, fans aren't enjoying this. Because we need to think about how much influence the fans have over the board and everything. And if you think about it, and if you think about it, if or even the players, for example, last year we saw articles of Johansson, Willock, people like that, laughing at Ainsworth's style and everything. You can see them going to him saying, listen, you have to change it here. And then that's just flicked. But I still don't get why why pre-season happened then. It's just Well, he said he said he had a plan for Watford and he took it on his own shoulders and said he had a plan for Watford. He made some weird comment about we set them a trap. Well, that trap didn't work. We woke the 35 seconds in, we were one-nil down. And on that Watford day. You know, he dropped Willock and he dropped Richards because of their appalling performance the week before. Quite rightly, it was a massive risk taking two of your best, some of your best ball players out, but that's what he did. Then lost 4 0 anyway. And then clearly, what I like at the moment to some extent is they keep everything behind closed doors. Something happened post Watford. They've had a complete regroup, rethink. Let's go three at the back. Let's play to our abilities. I've got no problem with that particularly. I've got a bit of a problem with the fitness because we say we've had a change of staff, backroom staff. Well, we haven't. We've brought in another person added to the existing people that we already had. No one's left. It's not as if we've had a whole shake-up. We've just brought in one extra guy. Um, and his, his input seems to have been, say, go easy on them and let the, let's bring the fitness up slowly. Well, the, there's a strong argument to say he's the person who lost us the Ipswich game because they weren't fit and uh, we were baggage for the last 25 minutes. If we'd been fit for 90 minutes, we might have won that game. So it's very difficult. But whatever has caused the change from Watford to Cardiff to Ipswich, it's a step in the right, massive step in the right direction. Mm. You know, I mean, <laughs> oh, can I ask one other question, Finney? Because you know how... Ainsworth, he doesn't. He, I mean, for all his, I don't want to give him a hard time at all. He's a he's a hero of mine. I want him to do well, but bringing Cole back on for Willock, now Cole back for all the time that I've got a hole in my backside. He's a he's a holding nasty midfielder. He took Willock mm. off and put and put Cole back as part of the front three. I just, what was that about? That was peculiar. And it was only later that he dropped back into his natural position. He doesn't make guess, life easy for himself. I guess. The mindset behind that would be maybe to stop them pressing from the, the top from their back onto us and to, to, to close them down. How threat callback is to do that, the mind boggles. Um, that was interesting. Maybe he, he saw something somewhere in, I don't know, some league of some genius move and thought, I'll try that. But yes, it was not only bizarre, it was weird. And and why, um, uh, Finney, why do you think Willock went off then? I think he went off because he was getting found out a little bit and he wasn't making the progress he should have been making in the game. I mean, I personally would have put the, took the veil off and tried yeah. to re- reboot 
reboot the midfield that way because with Willock, I, I, we all, the trouble with Willock is it's, it's one of those things, you know there's a player there. You know how good he is. You know that he can turn defences apart. And he just seems to have just lost all heart. And that's depressing and that's sad. And maybe they, they, they're trying to put an arm around him, bring it back slowly and everything else. But really, we need a fit Willock. You know, if, if, if you have Willock, I'd also live with Cho and Smith. Um, especially if, if, if Smith's going to pretend he's Cho and do them lobs. That's amazing. But like you know, and and maybe that was a tactic as well, Phil. Maybe that's to, to, to disguise themselves. But no, I think I, I do worry about. I mean, you talk about Richards and 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 you talk about Willock and we talk, but Dazelle does worry me. And I know he was trying a bit more on on Saturday, but I'm kind of wondering what role he fills, what what he brings to the side, and should he not be getting, should he not be better than what he is now? Simon, come in on that one and help me out because. I'm struggling to find positives about the lad, and I know he's trying, but it's written. To be to be fair, I didn't think he was. I didn't think he was great on Saturday either. And again, I think people praising the fact that he put a bit of an effort in. I mean, Christ alive, we're we're talking a very low bar, which I think you meant. <laughs> I know you mentioned that earlier, but yeah, try trying a little bit is an absolute is an absolute prerequisite. But I think the frustration for me is. And I think a lot of it with Willock is I still don't think he trusts his body one little bit. Okay, if you point. if you think about what's happened, he's had two he's had two serious hamstrings, and since then he's not he's he's blatantly not been the same player. Now I think part of it has been a little bit of attitude. I think part of it is um, potentially being badly advised by his dad, waiting for a waiting for a move. At the end of the season, although if he carries on the way he is, who's gonna who's gonna take him is gonna be an interesting question because otherwise you're just relying on him from two years ago. Um, but I think from I think from my perspective, it I think I'm still probably guilty of judging him from what we knew he could do when he was one of the best players in the championship. And I think the fact of the matter is he's not at that stage yet. And I actually think one of the reasons why he was taken off was tactical because I think there's occasions where, similar to this Cardiff game, where Dykes actually came back and filled that space. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Willock wasn't able to do that as effectively. And yes, I know we lost a little bit of attacking impetus, but let's not forget in the 15 minutes that um, Willock had gone off, you had Armstrong on a one-on-one Kakai missed that one from about two, three yards out. We still created chances even without him. Um, yeah, it's it, it's just sad to see. But he's, to be honest, he's, I think, a lot of it in his defence is in his head at the moment. And he is worried about going at full pelt because I think he is genuinely worried about those. He's genuinely worried about having another hamstring injury again. And, of course, the thing is that I'm right in thinking this is the last year of his contract, isn't it? It is. He will be... This is what worries me about, you know, players going into the last year. There'll be... Because two things are going to happen. We're going to sell him for cheap and panic. We don't want to get any money from him. And secondly, he can run his contract down and come on and do jack shit. I don't think he's that sort of player. I hope he's not that sort of player. I think the thing is, though, the... We've already mentioned that no one, no one's been in for him. And no, I, I, I have a... And I don't think... I think that he's the one they want to sort of let go for a couple of million or so instead of obviously chair for potentially 
for bigger money because chair's more of an influence. But as it stands at the moment, would you would you take a punt on Willett if we were in our position and we wanted to sign someone? No. And we said, I'll sign this person who's been sort of, yeah, he's been brilliant, but for the last 12 months, he's he's not been the same player. What would what would we say as a fan base? I, think- I, complete, I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, these people just don't help themselves. That, you know, his attitude at Watford, having got dropped, if I was buying a footballer, that would be a black mark. I'd never go anywhere near him. His attitude absolutely stunk. And I, I get the thing about his hamstrings, and I don't disagree with you, because how do we know how, how these people are feeling? But that is many, many, many months ago now. We're now, we're now late August, early, getting towards early September, and we're talking about a hamstring injury, you know, in the, in the previous season. He's had the whole, of, the whole of the pre-season to get fit. Mind you, if you saw him at half-time at Watford, he was, he was literally just playing keepy-uppies and doing nothing. It's very interesting when these players think the grass is always greener as well. Because pre this, I just happened to Google Luke Amos because I always thought Luke Amos was a um, was a there's a real footballer in there waiting to get out, and I hated his attitude at the end of last season. He didn't want to get injured, and he couldn't be asked. But and he has his injury problems along the way, and you, you forget how human this thing is. Luke Amos is currently unemployed, so he never got a club. So that the way he played at the end of last season did him no good at all, and no one's gone near him. So. You know, these people not signing a contract, a lot of the time they're getting their head turned by their parents or their agent or do this, do this, do this. Because we've offered Willock another contract and he hasn't signed it. Well, let's see what happens. It's, you know, the market is very different. And then if you read down those lists of players who are unattached, no clubs, there's some big names in there. Is there? Them strikers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> now, I said, listen, you know, no player goes out who's a professional to play badly. We, we know that and we hope that. But, you, you know, you do have your... It's like... Oh, sorry, George, we're going to make him patronise by age. It was like Matthew Rose. He always played his best games before his contract was up. He turned into some sort of Beckenbauer-type frigging defender coming forward and doing... The, and then you get a contract and spend six months in the sidelines, which wasn't deliberate, just the way it, it ruled. Um, and it, I kind of think with 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 we're kind of boat sailed on him for money. It's now just get what we can. I think the one that will go for money if he can get if he can release the ball quicker will be Chur, because then he'd be the perfect player. And I think he's trying that, and I think he will do it. But I w- I would say the sellable asset we have now is Chur. Um, yeah. Field definitely, um, but it's interesting with it's interesting with Chair. You think of Gustavo Hamer, where he I know he's got Coventry to a playoff, and he's gone he's gone somewhere for fifteen million. And if you have a look at some of the stats with regard to Hamer and Chair, they're they're pretty similar. So, oh, okay, if, interesting. If and I, I know it's hypothetical, and I know the club are expecting some bids for chair at some stage. How much would you be happy for him for him to go for, or how much realistically do you think he will go for? I, I would say two years ago you look at fifteen million. Um, the potential, I think now we're probably looking at anything above three. I think it's a lot more. I, I, I think it'd be a lot more than that. I don't. 
if you're asking what he's worth and what Rangers are selling for, that's completely different. Um, but yeah, I think I I would like to get seven million for him, and I I would say that was a good purchase by Leicester or whoever wants to spend it. <clears throat> Knowing QPR, I wouldn't trust him to sell him for the right price. In my humble opinion. My bigger worry would be the level of trust you've got in who is spending that money. So some of it's going to have to go and you know shore up the finances and some of it will get reinvested into the team. My, my big thing with the club is, do I have faith in that they go and spend that money wisely? I mean, I, I happen to think that Cook and Colback have come in, of, they, could be trans, they could transform the side. I think those two are great signings. I'd love to know who is actually responsible for those. Was that Gareth Ainsworth or was it the recruitment team or whatever? You know, let's say you get seven million for chair. I'm struggling to see that, to, to be honest. But let's mm. say that, that say that does happen, and they keep three or four million back to you know keep the wall from the door. You're then got a couple of million, a few million to spend. Who would we who would we spend that on? Because you know you only have to look at Taylor Richards. I mean, you don't know whether to believe these salary things that you see on Twitter. But you read that, you know, we were committed to buying him and he's now earning 15 grand a week. He's our highest earner. And I know he's got buckets of talent, but he's absolutely shocking. I mean, I would never give him a game. I'd never give him a game. And we lumber with him for a contract, however long his contract is, two or three years. It's worrying. Mm, but how much would you take for Cher? Um... Well, sorry, it does come back to another thing, Finny. What? Who are you going to buy? Say you take five million for him, and you're going to buy two or three or four players of a certain caliber. Then I would take that, to be honest. But he isn't the one I'd want to sell. I'd want to sell Willock. But see, my fear is, and I've been Georgian, that we're in so much debt. We're still far down with FFP and everything else. I just don't know how much we could reinvest anyway, realistically. We still probably say, basically, and the, the elephant in the room, we need to sell Ezzy. Oh, Palace to sell Ezzy. That's the only yeah. thing that's the ability of our transfer budget, transfer investment, and transfer window is Ezzy would have to leave Palace and the large the money. And then we can just get back on an even kill. And, you know, Ruben's not back for a, a while yet because obviously he's got things put over the death of his father, which is understandable. And as I said before, we're, we're pretty rudderless in the boardroom. That we haven't got a powerful enough figure in there, I think, to come out, reassure fans to, you know, is Amit really the person that's going to be making big calls and transfers and putting them together? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I definitely don't know. Um, is he a drone because he loves the club? Great. But is he an active chairman? I don't know. Um, so, George, I'm going to bring you in on that. Do you, you know, the same thing applies with Joe and everything else and transfer funds. What do you think? Well, I think in, in terms of getting money for chair, I think it's not as simple as reinvesting that money in other players. Because the thing is, so this is FFP, like the cycle. We're in the third year of it now. The year one, we only lost about five million because of the sale of SA. Last year, we lost about, I think, crazy amount, 24 million because we're losing like two million a month because of just how it is. So that means that we can't lose any money this year. Otherwise, we're in FFP because you get a cap of 
a loss of 30 million. So mm. the club would be absolutely sad as much as we don't want to lose these players, Chair, Willocks, Fields, because I think Fields still the second biggest sellable asset compared to Chair. Sadly, if, if if bids if realistic bids come in for these two or any of them, it's going to be taken because we can't afford to lose any money. And I'll go back onto the point of Willock real quick and his attitude. He's such a confidence player. It's unbelievable. If you think about it, when we're going to go all the way back to that point, when Bill left, someone who mentored him for ages, Banfield also left, Neil Banfield. Since then, he hasn't been the same player. He's been complete. And I agree, it's psychological as well with his hamstring. And that's just holding back. You can see by the way he runs. He almost hobbles when he runs. And we haven't... I think the f- bad idea of Ainsworth was take putting him on for two minutes at the end of Watford. And that's just going to completely wipe out his confidence, if you think about it. Because, as I said, confidence player... You're getting put on for two minutes. You can't do anything in the change of games. And in terms of dropping him, I get, I don't, of course, I don't completely blame him for Oxford the week before. And his attitude may not have been completely correct. But dropping him, as much as you may want to, it's the first game of the season against a good Watford side. I think you're you're deluded for doing that. And as much as you can put all these players on with passion, passion only gets you somewhere. If you look at it now, Charlie Kelman started the Watford game in that position where Willock probably could have been because he was behind Dykes. Look at him now, he's linked with a move back to Leighton Orient, hasn't been in the side recently. I just think, in terms of that, Willock's such a confidence player, so psychological, I just think they've dealt with that wrong. But if we're going back onto the point that you asked me finances, I think any bid for Chair or Fields in the next, I think it's, was it nine days until the window ends? It's anything realistic is going to be taken. And sadly, the reinvestment will most likely be in young Premier League loans or just wages, because I don't think we can afford to spend one, two million pounds on players to strikers or anything. I mean, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, as I say, I, I actually think we'll potentially get get a decent bidding for chair by the end of it. And mm. almost in a strange way, he's got three years. I think the one thing to bear in mind is he's got three years left on his contract. So we're not at the stage where it's we're at bin fire territory or anything like that. We do have we do have quite a handy sort of situation financial financials nonetheless. I think realistically out we are going to get another couple of loans in. We're we're going to need a right back to cover for Aussie or actually to step in for Aussie. And we'll get a striker regardless. I know we've seen some rumours of, I think it's a key... Oh, Jesus, this is going to be tricky. I'll call him Uche just because that's his first <laughs> yeah, name. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we've got we've got him, him being linked. Um Jay Stansfield at Fulham, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there to come in and cover. But the fact of the matter is, we are going to need to invest regardless. And I know we talk about financial fair play, and, and I think there's almost an element. You look at some of the punishments that the other teams have got, yes. and you almost wonder to yourself, well, if you just go over by two, three million, is it really, is it well, really yeah. going to matter? Because you think about it, you've got you're going to get a better deal next season with the. Um, 
TV money, whether it's a good one for fans or not, is another matter. If you can actually stay in the championship, get that T, get that extra TV money, that's going to give us a little bit of headroom as well. And again, I'd like to see the club come out and say, yes, it's going to be tough this season. This is where we are. But if we do this this season, actually next season, we're going to get we're going to have a reasonable amount of headroom. So I think the key is get through this season. And as I say, I'm more optimistic about staying up now than I might have been about three, four weeks ago. And then actually say, yeah, let's give ourselves a little bit of headroom for next year. So I think a couple of short terms with with a right back and also a, stri- a striker, if you can get two absolute bonus. And um, I think potentially from there, we might just be okay. Just a heads up though, Simon. We had this discussion the week, didn't we, Phil? We did. I got I got completely shut down. <laughs> no, what, what was it? What, no, we, well, we didn't say, do you know what? We never shut anyone down this podcast because there's only room for one person to talk shite, and that's me. And that position is <laughs> regularly filled. But Clive and so on wrote about it, and it's not just the effect it has next season. You get pulled across a call this season. They go through you like a fine tooth coming, and then they come into you. They audit you basically, and stuff yeah. like that. So there's this kind of reason. I mean. Don't get me wrong, listen, you know, it's a joke, the whole thing, because apparently in Europe they, they have these rules, but no one's taught Man City or the that lot down the road from us because they seem to be spending billions with no, mm. nothing happening. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we seem to be the only team that's been absolutely hung out to dry on FFP. And then you someone will say, well, no, because you got Reading, got hung out on it. I mean, obviously the, the other one is Luton. Derby. Derby, yeah, preferred Luton. Where they Sheffield were. Wednesday went down as well because of it, didn't they? Yeah. So there has right. been. I mean, I think the trouble of Rangers is, I think at the time we took anything rather than points. Um, mm. and and you know that's that's fair enough. We we kind of held our hands there. We've I, it'll be interesting to see what evidence was against us and why we didn't fight our corner more. Or did we fight it? We just caught with our pads down. But knowing the way the club was run at the time, it doesn't surprise me that we have done basically because we were. Well, Finny, you're asking why we got done the first time? No, no, no. I know why we got done. And then I, yeah. Well, I mean, well we, t- we cheated. We, it, well, was the, I, it was I, the most blatant FFB <clears throat> breach ever. I mean, the fine might have been completely nonsensical, fine 42 million or something. But basically, we had a turnover in the business of something like 30 something million, and we spent. 80 million on the playing staff in one season to get okay. back into the Premier League. It was egregious. I know, no, I know why we got done for it. And my, my point was, did we play basically our corner enough because we were scared of points deductions rather than the actual pick of it on the chin with financially as well? Because I was amazed and I still am that we didn't get points deductions because yeah. everyone else. We fought done. it. For, we fought it for years. It oh, went on and on, 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 on. That's we the delayed. thing that pissed. That's the thing that pissed the league off. The fact that we actually fought it. Most of these teams, they just take the two, three points deduction or anything like that, or the fine. The board just went, "All right, we'll pay that fine off." And now, and then the league obviously did not. They're like, "No, you can't do that." So the fine that we got was ridiculously high, but. The thing is, this cap that we got, that 30 million, you say we may be able to go two, three million over. Who knows that they haven't got a clause in it saying if we break it one more time, we get 
a demotion or a points deduction. I know, that's so, a fair point. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think it's almost like you're in a when 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 a situation seems quite bleak financially. I think a lot of people do generally try to think. Well, hold on a minute. How could I? How could I potentially get out of it? Hmm. I think going back to the point of why we didn't fight it, we delayed it. We delayed it, we delayed it, and we pissed him off. It's like going in front of a, a judge with, for a speed defence and then defending yourself on what you think is technicalities. The judge is saying to you, like, say, if you come back one more flick in time and talk shite when you're as guilty as fick, I am literally going to throw the book at you. So I'm going to give you one more chance. Come clean, hold your hands out, take your punishment. And Ridges went, well, we're off to fight a technicality because of the falling case. We got all cocky with ourselves and thought we were great. Um I don't but know. But we're, we're, we're still out of interest. We're still paying that fine. I forget now. Yeah, it's two years, years left. Yeah, two years So I suspect if we breach again, they're just going to ask for the rest of the fine in one go. But anyway, parking that, the reason we had this conversation <laughs> post-Watford is that we were a League One side going down. And even as an optimist, I was struggling to see how we're going to stay up. On watching the Ipswich game, that doesn't look like a side to me. I know we're paper thin. There's nothing coming off the bench. We don't look fit. All the problems we just talked about. However, that Rangers side did not look like a side that was going to be anywhere near a relegation battle. It just didn't. That was a, that's a proper side. I mean, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait and see how good Ipswich actually are. But they haven't lost in 21 games or something, and they've won yeah, three out of three in the history. So. You know what we what we're judging ourselves against. We'll see, but that was a the, the whole landscape is different because playing that way and with Cook in place and Colback coming in and Sinclair Armstrong now proving that it might be his breakout season. The um, I don't think we're going to be anywhere near a, a relegation battle. Mm. But, well, we don't know, do we? I mean, we thought we were going to win the freaking league last year. Look what happened. Um, <laughs> You know, you, you you never know in this game. What did we think of the, the lads that came on, George? What what did you think? Um, well, I thought, what, are we talking about at Norwich or? No, sorry, Ipswich is Saturday. Well, no, they came on Norwich and, and also when they begin Saturday against Ipswich. Well, I, I don't think they were, I, I don't think you can really judge them too much because they've had half an hour or 40 minutes over the space of two games. One thing I will say about Norwich, though, that was a positive. We put our youth on the pitch and they started putting their whole first team on the pitch. And we, as much as mm. we were backed into a corner, we didn't exactly look like we were being outplayed by a Norwich side who people are now tipping to do really well, their style of football and everything. And you, even you against. Can, you can also argue that maybe Norwich didn't want to win that game too much. Without <laughs> disrespecting our first team or our youth team, there wasn't a lot of crazy moments in that game. What was. Backs against the wall. It was a very strange game. Yeah. So I carry on, George. That's all right. And then, and then against Ipswich, uh, in the point of us comparing our performances, I don't think in the championship you can compare who your opponents against. And obviously you can, like if we come up against like a Sheffield Wednesday, you can think, oh, we should be winning that more than like a Southampton. But in this league, everyone beats each other. And as long we were competitive against Ipswich and everyone's raving about them, every single place I see on Twitter, second tier podcast, everything, love them. But uh, it's just a case of as long as we continue to be competitive in these games and seeing the style of football against Ipswich, I was sat up in the loft, absolutely loving it. Against Cardiff, I couldn't get there, but watching it on TV, it was amazing. And there's... 
there's so much more positivity around at the moment. And because of that change in style of football, and under Warburton, people must have said, oh, just knock it up there, let's get them chances. It shows that you to you need to see some joy in football to actually get results. And I've been saying that all along, so I was going to say that. I mean, what did you pick the kids? Collie, hmm? uh, I think it's a difficult situation in that last 25 when everyone was blowing. So it was hard for Collie to come on instead of Armstrong because you could already see the writing was on the wall. But to be fair to him, I thought he put himself about I thought he put himself about quite well, won a couple of won a couple of headers. And I think it's it's really good to see that we're giving the sort of 18, 19 year olds a game at the moment. Mm. Because again, if we get through this season and giving some of these people a few a few yards and a little bit of game time, that can only help us for next season and give them some more experience like You've seen with Sinclair Armstrong already. Um, Dixon Bonner, there was a there was a nice thing he did towards the end when he was sort of out. But it goes back to the point we were making of we were expecting Dixon Bonner to come out as perhaps attacking on the right hand side instead of Willock, and then Colback sitting sitting in. And I think we we took a little bit too long trying to make that. So I think minor criticisms of what we did second half. I I personally might have gone through it the other way. And I think the other one, talking about someone who didn't come off the bench and I was surprised, was when you're when you're getting leggy the way you are, from what I've seen so far, Stephen G. McKenna has changed from that sort of like creative 10. And if you put him as a defensive mm. midfielder just to run about rats rat about just sort of like just tap different people and make things difficult with his energy. I think I think that made a difference. And I, I was surprised that he didn't I was surprised he didn't come on. Because I think when you're lacking energy or something like that, you have got someone who's ready made on on the bench who is able to go in and try and do that and try and have some side. So I think going forwards there's plenty of potential for him as well. I know Colback will come in, he'll get he'll get fitter and I suspect what will happen is it will be Colback and Field, Dizel on the bench, and then we can potentially start looking at numbers and looking at sort of pace, looking at energy off the bench for the last twenty-five. I I, I think you, well, I hope you're dead right. It's got to be Colback and Field. I mean, Dizel. Yeah, I don't like having a go at our own players, but Dizel, I've, I've just don't get it. He's just an academy kid. Who's good? You know, he, it looks like he's never played men's <coughs> football. The, the game passes him by all the time. It's dreadful. So I hope it's Colback and Field at the weekend. We'll see. Uh, interestingly, the because um, we're all raving about Sinclair Armstrong, and I certainly am. But it's very interesting. He didn't win a single header all day. He, he, you no, know, he, he never had, does, does he? No, if no, you see his time, have you seen his timing for jumps? Like it's, just it's about. Chocolate. So Collie, Collie came on with his big hair and, you know, he's, I love his confidence. I, I think there could be something there as well. But the first two balls that went up to him, the, uh, he won the header. And that's the other thing. George, going back to what you're saying, but, you know, I never wanted Warburton to leave, ever. I told everyone, careful what you wish for. You know, this thing where we're not fit, Begovic is clearly under instruction, kick the thing long, just kick the thing long. Well, that's all very well if Dykes is there doing the thing that Dykes does well, which is yeah. line, line, lining himself up on the centre-half and winning the header. 
Begovic's kicking was a bit iffy at the weekend. He put a couple straight mm. out into, in, you know, in touch. But late on, just kicking the ball long, that just meant we had to run about more because we never won a header up front. They got the ball back and lo and behold, the possession stats are going up for them and they can just play the ball around and we are absolute bagging and chasing think, the ball. I think that shows how crucial Armstrong is to this side though because if you think about it, against Cardiff, he, he came off against Cardiff, didn't he? He, come, he comes off against yeah. Cardiff and then all of a sudden we're back on ourselves because the, their defenders don't have to back off anymore. That's what I was saying last year as well under Critchley and Ainsworth near the end. If you have that one person up front with that little bit of pace mm. to worry the defenders, they're going to have to then back off. But if it's just Dykes with let's just a couple of midfielders off him, he's going to be flicking it on to absolutely no one. And the defenders can just then gather the ball and play it out from the bat. And as you said, possession numbers then go up. So if, if you're a recruitment team looking at that, you look at a young Premier League striker, you don't have to be the best finisher in the world. You don't have to be the best hold-up player in the world. You need someone who can have pace like Armstrong does because, as we always say, he's a young kid. He can't be relied on to start every single game and play every single minute. So we need someone to do exactly what he does and scare them. And um, sadly, whenever he comes off, I think until we get that replacement, it's going to be the same thing as their teams can now push up onto us and not have to back off anymore. But to be fair, though, George, you can see that when Armstrong gets injured or Dunn gets injured or a field gets injured, it's like losing three players. Yeah, no. yeah, And, and that and that's the trouble with the squad. And that's what threatens the bejesus out of me. And that's still because they're fragile still. Exactly. Well, yeah. And also still because we're kind of using the, the wee lads to meet, which is why I asked the question about them. I mean, personally, I think McKenna's the best of the lot to actually come in at the moment, I think. Um, you know, he's he just he, he needs to. This needs to be his season where he, he makes a mark on the team. Otherwise, it's going to be too late for him. I think. Um, so it's going to. I guess there are options, but I think you know you'd be looking to loan them out really. You know, mm. and, and 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 get them more experience so they can come in. But yeah, the, the, it does worry me we, when we lost field on Saturday. We we lost so much shape. Um, you know and. I recognise Luongo somewhere in their team, but it wasn't the same freaking player that was played the last season for us. I mean, he was different class for them, you know. There's something about when players come, but you know, I was speaking initially from Borham, and he's been, you know, he's whatever happened, he, he obviously lost his confidence of form a wee bit towards the end of the range and then carried it all on Wednesday, where he seems to be absolutely thriving at um at Ipswich. But don't forget as well, although they were League One side, they they basically built the championship side. Down now, obviously, with yeah. the, I don't know the wage restrictions and the wage cap, but they were very clever. That you know, similar to what Sunderland did, they built the championship side to come straight back up and compete straight away because they are flying. And I, I think they'll probably hang around that top nine bit of the table for the season, mm. right? Which brings us on nicely because we've been rabbiting on so long, and and and, and it makes a change. And it's nice that Phil and George and and, and Simon do it, not just me because. Dear listeners, don't need to be bored so badly. But I'm just wondering about Saturday. Obviously, there's a train strike. Last train's back, in fact, you know, just past five. I think it's 5.45 or something like that. So, obviously, it would be driving down now. They're, they're doing okay. Big, big away support. What do you reckon, George? Well, whenever there's a big away support, I always say I'm more worried than if there's You're a small away You're only bloody 15. What? You're only 15, you can't say. They're going to be in your 30s to realise these things. 
No, but it's just QPR, massive. The thing that got me with the away support was, the I think it was a couple of years ago, the Peterborough games, oh, my life. Yeah, the, massive, the massive support and then for the awful performances. <laughs> and, but I, I'm, I'm on a positive streak at the moment. I think you just got to be positive about Saturday. Mm-hmm. And no matter how many fans are there, got to be positive. I like it. Simon? Yeah, so, as I say, I'm taking Katie for a romantic weekend, taking the game in, so that should that should be quite nice. And, You're all yeah, it's an interesting one, because I watched the Plymouth-Southampton game before the Ipswich one, and I have to say, I wasn't overly... I wasn't overly impressed with Southampton, to be honest. Um, Plymouth, cer- Plymouth certainly showed you could... You could get at them, especially in the um, especially in the second half. And for all sorts of the players they've got, I'm still not convinced about Russell Martin as a manager and this sort of whole notion of playing about 900, 900 passes a game or something like that. And you think about what's happened with the um, Swansea with the Swansea side, and I think going back to possession, George, I think there's a balance to be had between mm. what's someone like Russell Martin does and something that aims with. If you had something in the middle where no, it was a little bit more purposeful, you'd be, I think you'd, you'd be on to a winner. Um, do I potentially think they're too strong at the moment? Yes. Do I think we'll get an absolute shellacking? No, I don't. It'll be, I think the big thing for me is, no matter what the result, that we're actually showing signs of improvement that we've seen from the card from the Cardiff game. But I think the other thing to think about though is I think all of us went up to Burnley thinking we would be looking at about a six or seven and we ended up winning a game. And I actually think for the way we play at the moment, playing away from home might suit us a little bit more than than playing at home. So I know I haven't given a committed answer to what I think and I sort of like a stream of consciousness but I think yeah it'll be an interesting one to see because I've got a feeling Southampton will be a they'll certainly be top six minimum but having seen them so far I'm not entirely convinced they're going to be a a sort of more like a Burnley they might be more like us in 2013-14 Interesting Mm. Phil? Um, uh, yeah, the train strike's not helping. I'm staying down there, going down. Great away support. I like your point, George, about Peterborough or whatever. Um, I watched Southampton v. I think it was Sheffield Wednesday very early on, and they literally had 975 passes. It was close to a thousand passes, and it's just passing for the sake of it. My, I actually pretty confident after the way we played it. Cardiff and Ipswich, we've had this change of style. Some of the people coming in, I think if, if Colback starts instead of Dazelle, um, I think a lot depends if whether Field is fit. Um, a lot depends mm-hmm. whether Dykes is fit, because we haven't mentioned either of those going into the weekend. Well, we mentioned them, but whether or not they're going to be there. It'll be interesting to see if Jake Clark Salter is anywhere near, near the side, because he's, I don't know what he's like as a person, but uh, he's a class class footballer, but he's just constantly injured. Um, but I, night, I, I know, that's why I mentioned it, because he played last night. And Gareth Ainsworth, in one of his interviews, actually pointed out that he was out there training. So, you know, because if you've got a class player, part of me thinks, as long as he's not going to wreck team morale, you've got to play him. If all that lot are fit and play, my one worry would be if we chase around like headless chickens 
you know, chasing the ball for 975 passes instead of blowing out our ass for the last 25 minutes and we're blowing out our ass by half time. That is the slight concern. Um, so I, I, I still, I'm kind of moderately confident, though. It, wouldn't, it really wouldn't surprise me if he went there and got a draw and they had all this possession and did nothing with it. Something like that. So yeah. I'm going there ever optimistic, Finney. Well, we'll do score prediction then, George. Uh, I'll go. I'm going one all. I'll go one all. I, w- I would like to say a win, but I think they're just too strong. Go win. Hart says one nil. Um, Head says two one Southampton. Well, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go one one simply because I've just said it's going to be a draw, and we can't score more than one goal a game. So it has to be one one. If it's either that or nil nil. Well, judging by what you guys are saying, I've took it all on board. I'm going 4 0 Rangers. Because <laughs> <laughs> basically, that's the kind of guy I am. And um, yes, um, yes. Hot says it and Head says it. I'm on for this. Train strikes, driving down there. <laughs> Bring it on. We can do this. Not yeah. too far from me, though, so I'm quite lucky. Oh, I'm Mr. Smug. <laughs> yeah, you'll be saying that for Middlesbrough, will you? Um, so yes, there's that. Now, I want to cover something with Sam before we wrap the podcast up. You went to the um open day, I believe. A wee birdie tells me that because you texted me, so you did. Um, yes, I did. Yes, I did. What were your so, it was inter- yeah, it was an interesting watch. I mean, I'll talk about the sort of potential concerning bits first. And I mean, I, I don't have massive knowledge of what professional training looked like, but I think that one of the things I texted to you was, Christ alive, I know why we don't score many goals in games, because even in training, even in training and so on, even against those sort of like, those static, those static people they have now, finishing, finishing was shocking. And... You're thinking to yourself, if you're doing that in if you're doing that in training or anything like that, why that must be quite difficult, quite difficult in games. And I think the other thing that um the way in which it works, because we got there slightly late because there was a traffic incident in Hemel, and it was so we got there whilst they were doing the sort of like the four or five with one in the middle trying to take the ball off. Then there was then there was a situation where they had them all in sort of like four parts. So like the left backs, the right backs, left wing, right wing, and then the central people. Um, and they were doing it crossing in, crossing in, finishing, and then going on the other end as well and just turning back. And I don't know what to, I didn't know what to make of it with regard to the pace of it, because I think there were occasions where I didn't know whether and whether I was being naive or anything, whether it would be a little bit more intense, because it seemed like it was being done at a reasonably at a reasonably slow pace. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, what would that be like compared to other to other clubs? How would they be doing that sort of intensity? So I might well I might well be wrong about it and it might happen with other clubs, but it was certainly something that was interesting. And then at the end um, they had a different sort of like little five-a-sides where they were trying to move a ball on the deck. I mean, there was nothing up in the air or anything like that um, around just to try just to try and score as well and just to keep that 
possession up constantly for like five, six minutes, which I think is the ramping up of the fitness. So, I mean, it was certainly interesting to see the training and whether whether they do that all the time at Heston, we don't know. I think the one positive thing was that when we think about the players last season and attitudes and so on, they were great with all of the kids and so on. They, yeah, sticky. they stuck around for autographs for quite a long time. So we got a load of pictures with, with Ted and that, with all of the players. They were really good with him. Um, mentioned you as well, Sinclair Armstrong was, you know, he was there for, a long, long time. He barely moved for people wanting pictures, autographs and things like that. But you can see what a bubbly, you could see what a bubbly character he actually was. Exactly. And yeah, all of the, all of the players sort of bid themselves, bid themselves proud as people there, wanting to talk to them, wanting to say, right, well, how are you doing? What's your name? Yeah, here, thank you for coming. That sort of thing. That was lovely. And that was lovely to see because this squad did get quite a lot of brickbats last season, quite rightly, I think, for some of the attitude. But, yeah, can't speak highly enough of how they were yesterday. Excellent. George, have you got any other business you want to chat about? Anything that you, you'd like to bring up? Not really. I think I think we covered it all, to be honest. I haven't really got anything else. Like a true pro there. Phil, if you haven't got anything to say, I'll be always amazed. <laughs> And Stephen Spears used to be when I used to do my fifty-five hours ends. Go on then. I, I was, I was one of the most shocking thing on Saturday. I think was being charged thirteen quid at half time for two hopeless bottles of lager. It was just no, extraordinary. Bad. I don't know how they think that people are going to go to the ground early, spend money. You know, when the pub just up the road is is kind of fifteen percent, twenty percent cheaper. It makes it makes no sense to me whatsoever. I've, I've, you know, it's it's very irritating. But anyway, there you go. Small grumble. Well, I got I I, I went into the um of Tandon on the Norwich game. It's all very good. Enjoyed that. They well played to James and the rest of and Terry down. They they're trying everything, and I think it makes a difference. It definitely made a difference on Saturday. And um, anyway, I got cheesy chip. I wasn't that impressed. <laughs> You know, I don't think I, I think they've been processed in millions of the life. I don't think half that seems to be anywhere near a car. But um anyway, yeah, but you know, just one of them things. I don't think I've had this conversation a million times. No one ever cares for football fans. We're just fed shit. And we'll always be fed shit at extortionate prices. And clubs don't really, I think, care too much because they franchise them out. So they don't care. They get money regardless and they just get fed crap. Um I've got two things I want to say. Oh, Phil, are you done, by the way? Is that it? I'm done, yeah, finished. <laughs> Good, man. Bit rude, sorry, mate. Rabbit not going to get down First of all, I've, I've been reading that, you know, the, the shock shocks of the world are trying to... Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not English, as you know. And the chance of no one I'm getting to a man's World Cup or a female World Cup is about as likely as me going out with Kelly Minogue. Um, so, not going to happen. I kind of thought that the pushback towards you know the female players getting medals for um getting to the final. Now, you know, only one men's team got the final, only one women's team got the final. And I think um, Louis Kelly sounds great. Oh shit with push. And I think why not? You know, if it inspires millions of girls across the country, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Brazil, whatever, 
to play football, do it. Who cares? It's not their fault. They're not men, and they can't play a flipping man's game. And you know, I just don't understand why there's so much negativity. I'll probably get absolutely hammered for this and called woke or something because I probably <laughs> am. But I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's weird. It's not their fault. They're not blokes. Just and well done, Chloe Kelly, because I am incredibly proud. I'm disappointed because I know for a fact if we were like we did I just say we? Yeah. Right? I'm, so <laughs> go again. Jeez. I'm thinking of the QPR we as in I I'm still Finney, we've, we've, you you broke up there, Finney. That's a, yeah, sometimes that's some, some, sometimes that's a good thing, but it went, went very <laughs> quiet. Yes, yes, it's shock. Anyway, I know as a we as a QPR fan base, we really got the Rangers fan flag at Wimbledon again and it would have been great to see that in a World Cup final but it wasn't to be but I think it did everyone proud my second thing is many years ago we did a podcast and it was you know what it it was quite sad in some respects because you know you bring old players on and you think oh they're going to say such good things about the club how they've looked after them and everything else. And Ian Gillard came on. And you're kind of thinking, oh, God, you know, he, he wasn't very complimentary about the club. He was kind of like, yeah, don't really, don't really talk to us. Ooh. And you're kind of thinking, oh, this is not good at all. Like, this is, this is, and it was one of our early podcasts as well. Um, and I got a lot of flack for that because I think the club thought I was setting them up before and getting all the players on. But I wasn't. And we're getting all the players on because we have history and we've got cup winners and we've got internationals and we've got and you do this is what you do and I remember someone saying to me like I won't name them they don't work for the club anymore but just having a go at me about it trying to say like I was trying to be a clever dick and embarrass the club because they do their best well they weren't and they didn't um, because otherwise we'd have had a, the River Eyes would have been started many years ago that was the negative side of it Um the plus side of it was Saturday. Then they got the legend bar. Terry Francis was down there, and you look at what they're doing. Like um, and it's something we've been banging on the podcast for years. We're not taking credit for this. We don't deserve any. People take credit as Chris Guy and Martin Percival. They deserve credit for it. But it's such a brilliant thing to do. Have the legend bar. Have the mules up. Have the little barcodes so you can read about other players. Um, because sometimes I think owners buy football clubs and they forget we've got a history. They should get we won the League Cup in nineteen sixty seven, which was a big friggin' deal. Thank you very much. That we got to the you know quarterfinals of a major European trophy, came second in a very hard league, you know, won promotions and had an England captain at twenty two. Um which I think they'd be proud of. I didn't say we this time the day. Notice <laughs> other Celts, I said day. All right, didn't say we the first time. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was in tears when we had Mark Lazarus on. Um, it's one of the saddest interviews I've ever done. And thinking back to it, he was so bubbly, so full of life about QPR, but so sad that he hadn't been for so many years, so sad that he hadn't been invited back. And I think we talk about silence. Andy Simpson has been amazing for Queen's Park Rangers. Mm. I think the way he's come back and done the job that he's done and galvanized that for a variety, there's no complaints from anyone who's done a brilliant job. I think. Chris Guy, Martin Percival, Andy Simpson, give yourself a round of applause because history, many people want a cup of tea, but sometimes in our position, it's all you've got and we should be proud of it and we are proud of it. So well done them. And um, yeah, 
that, that's just what I wanted to say. Which I rambled yeah. on a bit too much. I probably could have said in two sentences, but you know what I'm like. Went round houses, got me flipping nationalities mixed up. Jesus, well, I can never go back to Belfast. They're going to get hundred and quarter. Anyway, so there we go. So we're all feeling positive. We've had a bit of a decent result against Cardiff. I'll look it against um, Ipswich, and um, that only means one thing. We're going to absolutely hammer the stains. Let's hope so. Of course. <laughs> George, stop coming on this podcast at the age of tenderness and being so wise for your years. Especially when you said, oh, we never do well with a bigger way support. You're 15, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've so I've been going for I've been going for twelve years though, so for, I count much. I suppose so, but you know, <laughs> a, bit, a bit early, mate. You know, but thank <laughs> you, George, and say hello to your dad for me as well. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you had a brilliant holiday in Japan, and I wasn't jealous at all. And um, it's lovely to see you, and I'll see you Saturday with with Katie, I suppose. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, just me and Katie. Yeah, luckily my parents live down in Dorset, so we're leaving Ted. We're leaving Ted with them, but Ted's coming. You say you're taking it for romantic weekends, Damon. <laughs> I might have done, yes. Whether and, I'm not and, sure and, how much romance is going to be involved, but that's an in, that's an entirely different story. It might just be the beautiful game, mate. It might be, yes. And Phil, as always, good to have you on. It's always nice to talk to someone who, who makes me look relatively depressed. So it's good, and um, I'll see you Saturday as well. Hopefully, we'll have a better conversation than we did at Watford. Yeah, exactly. All right, mate. Lovely. Thank you, guys. Keep listening to the podcast. Keep supporting it. And um, without everyone listening and, and contributing and talking about it, it, it you know, it, it's it's appreciated. And please keep doing it. So thanks, guys. And I'll see you all on Saturday. And come on, Rangers, send them Saints homeless sinners. Come on, you ours. Come on, you ours. You ours. You ours. You ours.